Well, welcome everyone to the Power Half Hour. Today we have a very special guest, a gentleman I met in Maui. Uh, what a great time that was. And just an incredible story of uh, his upbringing and you know his real estate journey and contributing back to the community as well. Um, and all at the same time, crushing the real estate game from North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, Mr. Mario Mitchell, welcome. Welcome, man. Thank you. John, I really appreciate you reaching out to me, inviting me onto this pod. I see you doing some big things. I mean, I'm excited to learn from you, sir. So fire away, man. Let's do this. Let's share what we can and let's bring the world a little bit closer together. Appreciate you, man. Uh, you know, I, I see uh, you, you've been on the uh, Instagram real game. Um, <laughs> tell us more about that. You, you're just on it like every day, every day. And you, it, it looks like you're, you're pretty inspired from it. You know, uh, it's funny. I, I just met with someone today and I was talking from a leadership perspective as I try to lead my team for the last few years. I always say, you know, as a leader, hey, guys, you got to get into the social media game. You got to start posting. Mm-hmm. You got to do this. You got to do that. And here I was leading, telling people to do this, and, and in the background, I was never picking up my phone and doing the actions that I was telling them, right? Um, but recently, I'd say in the, probably in the last, I don't know, year and a half, I've really started to take a little bit more effort um, and kind of you know, change it a little bit differently, not really always post about real estate, but more from a leader side of things and, and sharing things mm-hmm. that I want to hear, any information that I want to share is something that I would want to take from somebody else. Um, so I really want to kind of emulate the people that I want to be surrounded by. So yeah, uh, to your point, my, my stories have been more uplifting and, and, you know, driving people to success and, and hopefully learning from some of the mistakes that I've made along the way. It's great stuff. And, and uh, it's super engaging and great energy on those reels. I watch it all the time. So thank you for that. Um, you know, you have a, just an incredible story. Uh, tell us about your upbringing. Yeah, great question. Uh, it's a it's a loaded question, but I'll try to uh, shallow it down a little bit, if you will. Um, I was uh, born in the Philippine Islands. Uh, you know, I, it's, I hate to say it this way, but my mom, for lack of term of words, was a prostitute. Um, she was, uh, you know, as most of those women were in that time, were just trying to find Americans to to have babies with so they can get their kids to the United States. I was one of those, one of those kids. I was uh, illegally brought over to the United States on an aircraft carrier um, at the uh, age of two. Uh, and then my birth father at the time, um, and my, I, let me back, back up a little bit. My mother passed away shortly thereafter um, uh, when I was right around the age of four. So she'd only been in the States for a little bit, but as you can imagine, a poor person uh, from where she came from in a small province of the Philippines had never seen uh, any type of medicine or any type of doctor. When she got here, uh, she passed away from something that's very easily curable, which is an overgrown thyroid, but because she was afraid of the doctor, she never went. Long story short, she passed away. Um, And then my father, shortly thereafter, um, right around the age of six, I guess looking as I get a little bit older, I think he had PTSD. Um, but one day when we were coming back, my younger brother at the time was two. We were coming back from, uh, from uh, I'm sorry, four. We were coming back from school. Um, and we would walk home and we'd get into a gas station and he took a gun, a little cat gun. And my father just hated that for some reason at the time. And when he went to bed that Christmas Eve, uh, he filled up a, a pillowcase full of soap bars and just, beat the daylights out of me in my bed to a point where 
you know, I couldn't see, I'm, you know, I'm a young six-year-old boy uh, and I was knocked out for hours. So that next day, Christmas day, when I woke up in the afternoon, um, he was just sitting there on his little chair and he had his Glock out, which is a gun. Um, and he just told me to take out the trash. I could barely see. I was stuck to my bed in blood. I uh, could barely walk. I was bruised up. <laughs> and the neighbor uh, saw me called Child Protective Services. And what she did from that point, they took us away and put us in an orphanage. In this orphanage, uh, from six to eight, I stayed in there. They were trying to get us adopted and put us up for adoption. But for whatever reason, we never got adopted. I would just watch the people come in and out. Uh, and I, I was able to figure out a way to escape. And I ran away at eight years of, of age. And I stayed on the streets homeless from eight to 12. And I just hung out with homeless guys. A young man by the name of Stacy, he might have been in his 30s. I don't know. He took me under his wing. Um, but what I learned from being a homeless kid, as hard as it was, because you had to always hide because you didn't want to get picked up by the police. But I learned how to be adventurous. I learned how to hustle. I learned how to survive. Um, and you know, there was a lot of scary moments inside of all that, which we won't touch. But um, in those years, I would jump railroad cars and, and bounce from state to state and city to city and town to town. Oh, my um, goodness. Yeah, and sleep under bridges, eat out of trash cans. I mean, I did everything you would imagine as a homeless kid. Uh, and most of the times I'd sleep in bathrooms, like public bathrooms and then bridges. Smoke. Yeah. So now as a father, I have, I'm a ten, I have a 10-year-old, two eight-year-olds and and a daughter who's four months old. Um, you know, that's by the way. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. So looking back now, um, when I look at my kids and I'm like, man, <laughs> when I was your age, you know, I was literally rummaging through trash cans, trying to find clothes, trying to find food, eating other people's stuff that they leave on their tables, uh, and just taking anything I could to make a, a couple pennies to get through the day. For me, $3 and 75 cents would feed me for three days. Right. Uh, oh so when we're goodness. panhandling, I knew I had to get the 375. So my, uh, you know, my learned curve of finance started at a young age. Um, but yeah, from eight to 12, uh, I, I, I eventually got picked up by the police at age 12 and they put me in a, in a facility, which was really for troubled kids, but it was really trying to acclimate us back into society. As you could imagine I'd lost, you know, four years of, of education my body was beat up from bugs eating all over me. My, all my teeth were rotted out. So I had a lot of stuff that I had to, had to go through to get myself back into you know, society. But from 12 to 18, I lived through 63 different foster homes. So, you know, I, what was that like on your mind? Yeah. I mean, as an adolescent, uh, 63, never mind going to a different high school, 63 different homes. What did that do to your psyche? You know, that's a great question because uh, I think some of it still bothers me today. You know, my kid, my kid, like I told you, is 10 and he's he's 10 years old and he's already been in eight houses. Right. So I still, for whatever reason, now, instead of going from home to home with trash bags on my back, I'm buying house to house. Right. So I have this thing built inside of me that I, I don't sit still. I don't, I don't, mm. I don't ground myself very well. Uh, and I know it's something that, that haunts me. Um, uh, but it's something I deal with on a daily basis. Now it's, it's, you know, as a kid, I was always searching for a home and here I am now helping people find the homes of their dreams. Right. So the irony in all that is, is pretty unique, but yeah, to my psyche, it's a, uh, it's something that still haunts me. There's lots of strange things that I deal with, uh, you know, with, with, when my daughter cries, for instance, I, I can't, I can't handle that. I have to make sure she's not crying. 
Um, right. Darkness, uh, I prefer it to be pitch black because when I lived in the woods, there was no light. Um, so, I mean, little weird things like that uh, that I still deal with uh, you know, on a daily basis. But as far as moving wow. from home to home, you know, it's just who do you trust, right? Uh, trust yeah. was a big thing. And I think as I got older and where I am today, um, and, and especially in a sales business, you know, our job is to transfer trust, transfer energy. Uh, and, and, and I think a lot of us as salespeople tend to forget to humanize ourselves because as we humanize ourselves and allow other people mm-hmm. to see our fear and to feel our loss and to, and to understand who we are a little bit deeper, there's a little bit of a, what we, is affinity is made. Um, and then people can be like, oh my gosh, he is, he's like me or she's like me. Uh, and then you can move forward into the progression of, of creating that small amount of trust just by humanizing yourself and, and being, if you will, a little real. So the last 10 years of my life, I've started sharing my story. As much as I hid mm-hmm. from it, nobody, yeah. you know, people, when I get on stage now and I talk about it and they're like, I never would have expected that from you, uh, you know, because mm-hmm. I built this facade over the 30 years building up to this, you know, my my body's strong because I, I don't allow people to put me down, you know, but it's not there because I wanted it there. I just had no choice to protect myself. Um, so a lot of things like that, you know, it's, it, I would not change the path I have because this path has taught me so much about life and, and so much respect for life. Cause I don't have parents. My birth father's still homeless in Texas. I track him mm-hmm. uh, via credit card, but he barely takes any money out. Mother's passed away. My younger brother's, thank God, is an executive. We lost each other through the foster system, but we we still talk today. In fact, I just sold him a house in Charlotte, so he's got another house in Charlotte. Nice. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, we have remarkable stories for the two, two kids that we grew up, but everybody's got a story, right? Um, and I think it's important that we share our stories. If there's anything that comes away from this little pod, it's to, it's to humanize yourself a little more and, and let people in. Uh, I think the the more vulnerable we are, um, and even talking to you at lunch that day, you know, when, uh, through that vulnerability creates these types of environments where we can share our stories together, grow off of each other, learn off of each other, uh, and be better people for our families, our children, and the people that we're trying to lead through this community. Yeah, definitely. And we, uh, we shared with each other that day, and I was just blown away, at who, uh, again, uh, by who you are, who you, what you stand for. And you know, just a phenomenal lunch that day, man. Yeah. Uh, Mario, I'm, I gotta say, this is probably the the most amazing story that I've ever heard in real estate. Yeah. Because I've interviewed a lot of people. I've I've, I've talked to a, a countless amounts of um, you know top producers, top team leaders. This, this this story is incredible. And you could have gone down a very dark path, right? Yeah. Um, and you you chose this path. How how did you not go you know into gangs, drugs, on the streets, Yep. and you went into college basketball. How did that happen? That's a great question. Uh, when I was 10 years old, I met a, a young guy um, on the streets, and, and I was super skinny, and he was like, hey, uh, you can help us get on top of the school, and we'll break in. And what we did is we climbed on top of the schools all over the gutters, and once we got on top, there's air conditioning ducts. And because I was so skinny, I'd crawl through the air, condi- air conditioning ducts, and then I'd fall into the ceiling, into the school, and let these guys in. What they were doing is they would go in and, and rummage and take and steal. And I'd go into the basketball gym and just shoot baskets for hours because, one, it kept me off the streets. I had shelter. 
So I didn't have to worry about, you know, rain, cold, whatever. I, so I'd do it every single night, sometimes the same school, sometimes different schools. And that's how I learned how to dribble. I had to learn how to shoot baskets. I'd do it for seven, eight hours straight, depending on what time I could break into that school. And I'd always have to wow. be out by 5 a.m. And that's how I got caught. Ironically, I fell into a table and the shoes at the time I was wearing like nine and a half shoes, but I was really like a size six. They didn't fit, but an officer pulled me over and asked me where I was going. Where's my house? I didn't have any answers. And that's how I got caught. He matched the sole of my shoe. And my foundation that I do now for the homeless is all based on shoes. So I, I support uh, giving new shoes to, to homeless kids and adults. I, every year I do it right around Christmas time. So we do hundreds and hundreds of shoes every year. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> That's a story in itself. Uh, basketball <laughs> saved your life. Yes, 100%. Yeah. Kept you off the streets. And uh, you went into college basketball. And I guess you went to post-secondary, finished university. After that, when did you get into real estate? Yeah, so my degree out of college was sports medicine. Uh, and one of my clients at the time uh, would always pay in cash. I had no idea. I'm like, uh, what do you do? In my mind, I was like, got to be a drug dealer. <laughs> Everybody else is using insurance. So I had no idea. That's right. And he's like, no, I'm a realtor. But because I didn't have parents and I had no idea, I just knew I had the rent. Uh, I didn't know that I could buy a house. I didn't even know. I had any, I oh. no idea I can afford a house, even though I could. Um, and so I was just a constant renter for the first few years out of college. Uh, and this guy, he was like, well, look, you come with me. I'll teach you the ropes. If you don't, and what's your salary? And I was like, at the time, I was like 80 grand. He's like, all right, well, can you make more? I'm like, no, <laughs> I think that's my ceiling unless I go into private practice. He's like, well, if I can get your salary in the next six months, will you come work for me? I was like, well, what do you do? I was like, well, real estate, I'll teach you. Uh, and he was with MFO. And I went over with him and he gave me a, the white pages. He sat it down in his desk um, and he said, gave me a, a script, uh, a just sold script. <laughs> uh, and I just started dialing right out of the white pages. And I was booking listing appointments after listing appointments for him in 2000, wow. 2004, 2005. Uh, and in the, the, the first three months, he bought me a, a brand new Range Rover. Uh, and he said, you're doing a great job. Thank you so much. I wasn't licensed. So, uh, and then I had my salary in the next six months. He gave me a check for, for 80 grand. That was my way into real, that was my way into real estate. Yeah. So if you can imagine 80 grand, what he made off of some of the calls I was doing, right? So, uh, right. I was crushing it. Uh, and we did, we did great. I had fun. Um, and MFO taught me a lot from there. That's amazing. So, uh, 2005 when you got in, uh, what happened in 2008 when everything started com uh, coming to crash yeah. down and, and everything? So, like I split off in 08, went on my own, uh, and started okay. my own firm, and my not my own firm, my own organization. Um, yep. And those 08 through 10 were my best years in the business. Um, oh, I was. Oh, I lost you. Uh-oh. Oh, there you go. You're back. Okay. I was able to generate my own business. I knew how to go after everything. You couldn't get me off the phones. I double-setted double for 12 hours a day. Um, mm. And then I, I went on my own and learned how to, to portfolio call and built through portfolios on, on short sales and just just blew it up from there. Yeah. Wow. So you took it as an opportunity, REO, short sales, and built your portfolio from there. So you crushed it. Yeah. 2008 to 2010, a lot of people were suffering. Yeah. That, uh, wow. And so what happened? Uh, you, 
that was in Washington, D.C.? Yep, that was in the D.C. area. Okay. Mm-hmm. And when did you change over to Charlotte? Yep. So when we had my first son, uh, I knew I wasn't going to raise him in the Charlotte area, in the uh, D.C., Northern Virginia area, mainly because of traffic patterns. Uh, it was just really, really tough in that area. Um, so I started thinking about moving south, uh, and I researched Raleigh, Durham, uh, and Charlotte. And Charlotte seemed to have the most opportunity because of the South Carolina border and North Carolina border. So my wife at the time, um, she agreed. We put our house on the market, sold, and the market at the time in Charlotte was a third of what it was in D.C. Um, so we saved a ton of money coming down here. And, in fact, mm. I, didn't, I didn't work for a year and a half uh, while oh. I was here getting, you know, getting grounded. Not because I didn't want to. Oh. Because, well, because I had enough savings from DC. Uh, but when I transitioned right. to Charlotte, I thought I could just cold call all day uh, and do you that. Did you tell me about that. Yeah. Uh, what happened when you cold call for the whole year in Charlotte? What oh happened? Oh my gosh, it's so embarrassing because you have such an ego, right? And and now I talk about it, but I'm glad I have the life experience to tell people, look, bro, you got to let the ego go at some point. I thought I was the top dog. Uh, but going in there, I would still do my calls. I call expires. I call sale by owners. Nothing, not a soul. Uh, I joined the top two country clubs in the area, thinking that I could just live the life I was living in DC, uh, mm. and just get over here. And and I had such an ego, and uh, and it didn't work. In fact, I went to my my broker and I said, "Hey, I got I got to I got to get a job. I'm running out of savings." <laughs> so I went back to the corporate world. And that sucked because now I have people, you know, hitting on top of me, do this, do that. You know, I need these numbers reached. And I'm like, holy crap, I need to go back to be a business owner. Uh, and I went back to my broker at a, a small boutique firm. And she said, I just need you to dumb it down for me. Pretend you don't know real estate and go into this mm-hmm. rookie class and just learn how to do real estate. You know how to be a cold caller, but that doesn't translate in Charlotte that way. Uh, really? and, I, and I learned from that, how to build a referral business. I'd never had that before. All I did was call nonstop. As soon as I did the transaction, I didn't put them in the CRM. I didn't even know where that client went. I just kept going. Uh, and that, that's how I learned that side of the business, the referral base. Um, and I went in with that class and within six months I had, you know, three deals on the board and I started transitioning my business. And then from that year I started to grow my team. And now I knew two, vo- two versions you know, almost like the father-son version, right? Mike and Tom. <laughs> yeah, it, that's crazy. Uh, wh- why was it so different between Washington, D.C., Virginia, uh, and Charlotte, North Carolina, in the way they do business? Yeah, that's a great question, you know, because, I, one, there wasn't as many expires, number one. Uh, pricing wow. is, is different here. There just wasn't enough transaction trend transitions. I think now, even now, when you look at the – expired ratio it's very very slim right um mm. and there's a there's a fair amount of for sale by owners but not a lot i think when the interest rate went down and went back up now you see more for sale by owners because they have more equity to play with but before yeah. you just didn't have that most people the southern mentality is a real thing right um mm. uh, and i was taught to call at 6 30 i was on the phones at 6 30 i'm hitting people at 6 45 in the morning before they get mm-hmm. get the kids up and go to school that didn't work around here. <laughs> they, were, uh, wow. they were they were real aggressive, yeah. and uh, so and usually you know no's don't hurt me. I, I just know it's the next opportunity to yes, but it was a whole year of no's, and I, uh, I decided to wow. I, yeah it beat me up, but uh, I was able to learn from it. Talk talk a little bit about that. Uh, you got humbled. Um, no, how important is 
is humility in real estate sales? I think humility is massive. Uh, I think a lot of us can get complacent very quickly. Uh, mm. You know, it, and people talk about the market shifting all the time, and I think that's a popular term right now. But I think there needs to be a shift in our business at all times. Mm. And, and folks like you that are, that are taking the opportunity to, to talk to other people, for me, I like what you're doing on the pod side of things. For me, I like to go to mastermind groups and just be in a small, intimate setting so that I can meet people like you and see mm -hmm. what drives your business, what drives you as a person. Because that transfer of energy is what's going to keep me as a business owner moving forward. I think, mm -hmm. you know, as an entrepreneur, it's massively difficult for entrepreneurs because when you're in a corporate setting, there's a structure established for you and there's, and there's a higher tier of someone at all points that you can always lean on. As an entrepreneur, you have to seek out those people. And if you don't seek them out, they're not going to come to you. Um, and I think a lot of us forget to do that. So we have to shift our mindset a little bit to make it more about involving ourselves with the community of real estate uh, and surrounding ourselves by leaders and, and lions and figuring out what they're doing so that you can get that energy and transfer it back into your business. Sounds like uh, exposure is really important to you, and that's why you went to the Maui Mastermind. And I guess uh, you connect with people virtually as well, I'm sure. And you're probably in South Carolina for another mastermind. Yeah, yeah. We're getting ready to put one together here. That's the goal uh, is to get another group of panelists together so we can create another mastermind. Um, but, yeah, I think what I learned from that Maui experience was that, you know, that organization and that lineage of people is what I want to be around. Those are the types of people that I want to be around. That, that, that function on the beach, uh, that church function just blew my mind. Mm. I mean – that you don't see that in everyday business. I mean, where people just want to help empower people. Uh, and it wasn't about real estate. It was about, you know, the function of human humanity. And I thought that was massively powerful in my mind. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was there too. I, I felt yeah. the energy that day. So uh, again, Maui is incredible. And when you have, when you spend it with good people like Mario, it was just uh, amazing. Um, you know, you, you've gone through so much, Mario, uh, from your upbringing, being in orphanage, uh, 63 foster homes. Now you've come to the pinnacle of success in, in real estate, really, being a big team leader, carrying 60 listings at a time. Is it 60? Uh, well, we've got 103 right now. <laughs> 103 listings. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So it, it, by all means, uh, you're a successful real estate salesperson and a team leader, what drives you today? Yeah, I think it's it's now it's uh, it's more family driven. Um, you know, it's it wasn't all when I was younger. It was all about the dollar. It's about money. It's uh, it's about having fancy things. You know, now it's about moments, moments in time. Um, yeah, someone told me a few years ago that you have seven summers with your kids. Uh, you know, that that sat in my mind for so long. And it really resonates with me today uh, because when they're infants, as I have a four-month-old and you have a baby, you know, they're, they're kind of immobile for a couple of years. They can't really reciprocate until they're about three, three and a half, four. And then from four to 11, 12 is that seven-year gap where they really can see and you can massively see the, the involvement of them. Uh, and then 12, 13, 14, they start to get friends. They start to you know, move away from the nest, if you will. Uh, and they don't want to be seen by their parents. So you really have that small gap. And seven summers can be gone. Uh, and if I'm 
putting all my, you know, mentality of grind and effort into just crushing this, this business, any business you're in. And I, for, and I'm sacrificing time with my family uh, that I'm doing, I'm probably doing it the wrong way. So now I'm trying to, to balance that work life as best I can. Um, and I, I'm going to put a lot more effort and emphasis into the family. So what drives me today is, is being there for my kids so they can, you know, it's hard because as a kid, like I was that didn't have a family to now have that role. Um, you know, one, I'm learning how to be a parent, but I think we all are. Uh, I just want to make sure that the path I leave behind them is not one filled with fancy, shiny objects. It's one filled with love. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It, you know what? The, the, when when my girls grow up and your kids grow up, they're not going to remember all the things that they got. It, it's about how we uh, conduct ourselves as parents, how we spend time with them. And seven summers, guys, that's all you get with your kids because they're going to be out of the house. They don't want to spend time with you. Uh, so completely separate, uh, Mario. I have to ask, 103 listings, How? where do they come from? Yeah, so one of my masterminds, I met a man uh, who built his business out of Destin, Florida, and his whole thing was buy dirt. That was his whole pitch. He's like, dude, this is what you got to do. Just buy dirt. And right now, I mean, the market we're in right now with the interest rates going up and down, you have no idea what's going on. The smart guy or the smart girl is going to buy dirt. Just get into dirt, go into consignment. And if you don't have it in your local town, go a little bit further where your license carries you and find the dirt. Um, but what I did is I did what he said a couple of years ago. I'm buying dirt. I'm sitting on them. I'm taking them through consignment. And what that means is I'm rezoning the process of that dirt. It's a small amount of investment on my end. I take it from by right, let's call four acres, 12 homes, and I turned it into 50 luxury townhouses, right? So I increased oh. the density. And once I get that, once I get that approved in 10 to 12 months, now I'm going to retake that property and I'm going to pitch it to big box builders. And then I'm going to be the one that holds the model. And all those listings are mine. My team sits in every model. And that's how, that's how I'm doing it. So, And now with the market, the way it is right now, instead of getting scared and like, shoot, I don't know where I'm going to get business, go find dirt. Because dirt prices go down and it takes 10 to 12 months for that to go rezoning. Once it's rezoned, you hold the most valuable piece of dirt that nobody else has. And then sell that with the intention that you hold the model home. Right. So big box builders will say, well, we'll do it, but you got to negotiate. No, my team is going to work this model and I get X off of all these homes. Gotcha. That's where I, that's I got the listings. <laughs> and that's all find I do dirt. now. Thank that's you. all I do. Yeah, buy dirt. Oh, buy that's dirt. Amazing. <laughs> buy dirt, find dirt, uh, subdivision, and then find the big builder yep. to come and build. And then you get those listings. So you those, create, uh, list you create, a re- create a relationship with the developer, right? And the developer yep. is going to know who the dirt buyers are for the builders. Uh, and then if you've already taken it through the rezoning process, you've just saved a ton of time and money for that builder. So they can just walk right in and start building and they'll pay more and they, you'll make a, you'll make money on that, but you'll also be able to have control of the development through the, the build process, which in most times is going to be 12 to 24 months. So you've got listings for two years and then you just keep the process going. I love it, man. Find dirt, find, build relationships with builders, and you'll have 103 listings in inventory. Uh, I don't think you have a lack of listings, that's for sure. <laughs> I thought it was call, cold calling expired listings for sale by owners and getting 103 listings in, in inventory. That would be uh, 
not human. <laughs> it'd, be tough. It. it'd be tough but i heard you were pretty good at it so <laughs> i i don't know about 103 though all right man well uh if you had to give agents you know in 2023 because it's, it's a changing market up or down whatever it is uncertain times what would be the one piece of advice that you would give them for this year yeah great question i think um i think humility is is a big thing right i think a lot of us have to dial back, you know, as I go to a lot of these events and we, everybody talks about systems and processes. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of value in that. I think we have to learn the basics of real estate. One of my biggest um, life lessons was being, was learning to be, um, was learning that humility side of me when I thought I was great, but I had to readapt. Now, not everybody's going to go and start a new, uh, a new city, but even in your own town, sometimes you just got to dial things back and get back to basics. Look at your systems, look at your processes and look at your, your calendar and be good at setting your, your schedule throughout the day and follow it, you know, uh, as best you can. You got to be very consistent for sure. A uh, twenty-year vet- veteran uh, in real estate and uh, an amazing upbringing. Uh, w- what a life you've already had! Uh, keep inspiring us, uh, Mario. Thank you so much for today, guys. Get back to the basics. Let's get back to work. Thank you, Mario, for today. We'll talk to you soon. Make it a great day and a great year. See you Thanks. soon. Appreciate you, John. All right, man. See you, buddy.